0: Hi and welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash. My name is Dawn and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni, the fastest growing professional network of current and future care and education practitioners. You can join us for free at cashalumni.org.uk and get access to articles from subject specialists, careers advisors, access to job vacancies and our member benefits scheme. Hi Dawn, so I'm Eva.
1: I hope you're talking to us mostly about Dandelion. Um, that Haley and I set up together. Uh, well, we actually started seven years ago because we are both classroom teachers and we'd met, whoa, about 20 years ago, I suppose, originally when Haley's little children, um, one of her children were in my class. And so we met as a teacher and parent. Then we worked together in the same school um, when Haley became a teacher. And we've both been teachers for a really long time. And then one day we sat down together under a magnolia tree and said, oh, isn't education going in the wrong direction? And it's not where we thought it would go or where we wanted it to go. We talked about the education we would have liked to have had for our children. So by this point, um, our children were very grown up. Um, And then we started to really talk about what education should look like um, in the minutiae and slowly, was born. And we
2: are absolutely, absolutely passionate about what we do. And how we do it. Uh, I am Hay. Dandai has been so successful and has has had so much validation yeah. uh, because it is so unique, because it is a is a unique marriage of all the things that we think are actually vital, the foundation skills for children for, for lifelong learning and in yeah, and for young children's education. It's a combination of forest school, um the, the the best elements, the bits that we love the most was uh, Emma's passion for a school when she was teaching and they were squeezing it out quite right now. Yep. Um, and my passion was uh, in philosophy for children and I was leading that in school and they were squeezing that out and people didn't understand it. They couldn't see the benefits of speaking to children mm-hmm. and speaking with children. They prefer to speak at children and spoon feed um, skills and, and facts and information as opposed to drawing out what's within the child. and having those really deep, meaningful debates yeah. about the world, yeah. about life. and
1: I think it's just slowly, isn't it, that what was happening in education is children were being almost dumbed down. Our expectations of, of children getting lower and lower. I mean, in terms of of testing, the expectations are very high, but they, they are things that you learn by rote. And what yeah. we weren't teaching children was how to think creatively and critically. You know, it was literally, by year one, they've removed all of the toys out of the classroom. You sit down, you're going to colour this in brown, and you're going to do this. And, and, and children weren't learning to think. And actually, at Dandelion, because we do listen to children and we speak with them, what is absolutely, even after 20 odd years of teaching, 30 nearly, I just cannot believe, every time we hear children at Dandelion doing a philosophy session or solving a problem, they just completely knock your socks off and you think, we are, Absolutely not making the most of this incredible resource. I think at Dandelions, we're trying to literally make children able to be the best they can. If you want to get up a tree in Dandelion, you have to work out how you're going to get there. We're not going to give you a ladder. And what you end up with children we are going to go into society are strong and resourceful, resilient, risk aware, and can solve problems for themselves. And if you can
2: do that yourself, you know you can be anything. When Emma and I sat down under that magnolia tree, we, we we, we, look, we thought about the children that we'd observed and that we'd worked with, and how they were lacking emotional literacy skills, emotional resilience, physical resilience, and like Emma said, the ability to problem solve and think critically and creatively, and, and sort what of just articulate with our peers and socialise with their peers, and fearful of making mistakes. Um, and. We thought, OK, so what actually do we want for children? We want them to be outdoors in an open space where they'll be mentally well, where they can become physically strong, physically resilient because of the links with physical development and cognitive development. Um, so we sat down, we took Emma's Passion Forest School, Mindful Philosophy, looked at emotional literacy and how we could develop that further and communication language and, and those areas of socialising. We thought, OK, we're going to do it outside, entirely outside, Um, All Weathers, has anyone else done it? Well, there were forest school sessions in schools, there there were some nurses that do forest school sessions, but no one's really done it full time outside. Um, And so we we thought, okay, let's let's just do it. So we gave gave up our jobs. Yes. uh, And then had no money for a while. Um, And we've slowly evolved an outdoor environment. We have a yurt, we have some outbuildings that are for storage, that kind of thing. A a, a staff room is a shed, or office is a shed. And we created this outdoor learning environment for children aged two to eight, uh, because we believed in that integrated mix,
1: didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a nursery, isn't it? And even though it's a nursery, and it, it's the first thing that everybody's struck by isn't it, is that it's outside. Um, at the moment that probably seems particularly important mm. and it, it, it just seems that this is the place where all children should be now really that's, isn't it?
0: That's, that's definitely one of the things that I wanted to, to, to ask a little bit more about was that outdoor environment and, and for a little while um, obviously we've recognised the benefits of forest schools yeah. and um, and might had articles about forest schools yeah. for a couple of yeah. years and but they're yeah. still they're still like widely unknown like there's not a lot of parents got a foreign school around the corner that they can get the kids to and drop them off and have them develop those skills and I'm 33 and I got involved with my local community farm last year and I've learned like so many life skills in the last year that it's been like incredible that I wish I'd had access to as a kid Um, do you think this is the future of like how education might look in in the world that we're sort of looking at into the future you know we're looking i I don't think any of this is going to disappear and that the the new normal is not going to be like the old normal it's 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 going to be a different world do you think this is what education might look like if it's setting based education
1: yeah i do and i think for us being outside is it's just it's like your canvas we would never ever ever be inside it's just such a given that we almost think, well, there you go. And it's everything on top of that for us, which is about the education, about the creative and critical thinking. But it would always be outside because everything you read, everything you see, everything you witness tells you that being outside is better. It's better for your wellbeing, it's better for your health, hugely, for your physical development. Our children at Dandelion are moving around, they're climbing trees. And we know that there is a huge link between physical development and cognitive development. We know that you feel better outside. And at the moment, so important, you can't ignore it, can you? It is healthier to be outside. And I mean, Hayley and I have worked indoors, in in schools, in classrooms. And because we're qualified teachers, the government say that we can have 13 three-year-olds to one of us. So if you take Hayley and I and put us in a classroom, you can give us 26 three-year-olds according to the government. And that's what happens. That's genuinely, when I've worked in nurseries, I've walked in as a qualified teacher, and all the other practitioners have been withdrawn except for perhaps one. And there we are in a room full of children with central heating, with too much lighting, too many plastic toys, yeah. um, which are health. I mean, in the past people haven't thought about that, the health of, you're touching all these toys, you're, you're standing right next to each other. I mean, the children are continually snotty and poorly. And at the moment, we, it's time for us to listen, isn't it? I think. What we need to listen to is, you are healthier outside, you are better outside, your mental health is better, and your education is better. I mean, Haley and I, we, we are obsessed with education. Yeah. Um, that, that's our real driving force is, is education is, is huge, but you only learn when you feel well. You know, we know, don't we? A child isn't going to learn if they're hungry or thirsty or frightened, if, if they're anxious. Those things have to be put in place before we get
0: scattered, the to, to place to do that
1: is outside.
0: I, I, I listen to this and this sounds amazing, this sounds like lo- like loads of fun and like, like the whole like my learning as Cash Alumni Editor and sort of working with early ed professionals sort of for the last two years has been amazing because I've gotten to learn loads of stuff about a sector that I didn't really have any contact with. Um, so. Because my only knowledge of early years is really that best practice stuff, I only really get to hear about the really mint stuff. Like, yeah. this sounds amazing to me. It sounds like it'll support self-regulation and young people being able to, to understand who they are and, and what they're yeah. like, and, and sort of taking a curiosity-based approach to, to exploring stuff and to, to building up that sort of ability to, to ask questions about the world around you rather than just be given things to learn. But I'm from um, a background where I went to the local primary school, um, and I went to a comprehensive school that I got beaten up at because that's how work it works a comprehensive school if you like learning. Um, and I can imagine all of the oh, well, you can't do that because that would come from my teachers and from maybe the people who have that experience of education and, and would look at it that way. So what? Barriers have you come up against, um, (laughs) sort of people who don't think that you can do it like this. When we first started out in a dank
2: field, Mm. seven years ago, the local education authority came out to see us, and they said, "Oh, it's a nice idea, but nobody will come," is what they actually said. Um, And we said, "Well, we'll see." Yeah. Um, And you know basically word of mouth has spread from six children in a dank field to over a hundred and we've probably got about 20 staff now Yeah. um on, on board and yeah word of mouth has just spread and spread and we've received accolades and awards and well, that's, know,
0: well, that's where i, I met mean, you that's that's yeah. where i found out about danny because was yeah. when you won the nursery
2: yeah. world award yeah that that, I, that that you know that and changing people's perception of what we are because we, they have very much had an image of us at the start which was a pair of hippies drifting around in a field you like, you know what we do drift around it's very beautiful in the wood but actually we are teachers we are focused on the educational standards we're not babysitters we are teachers and we are there to be partners in learning with your children and with you because you are as parents are the first teachers um and it definitely it was tricky
0: changing that perception i think it was just to show how absolutely committed we are do you think that parents share that perception because actually I, i see a lot of stuff in the media about you know the value of being allowed to take your children out of school when you want to take them on a day trip or on holiday or you know without it being because that's a learning experience and it opens up children's sort of knowledge of the world do you think that there are parents who understand that sort of self-directed real world like learning but that maybe there's a barrier there in that there's safety in a structure in a system in and in a, in a thing that is imposed
1: I, th- I think you're right um I, th- I think the the challenge that we probably have is that there are a huge number of parents who already know that this is um, a better education. Mm. I think interestingly, I'd probably say seven years ago that a lot of our parents were uh, how we were perceived. You know, they, they were already on board. They were already alternative yeah. parents, so already perhaps looking at home ed. Um, and then slowly, um, I think the knowledge and the understanding has spread to more middle class aspirational parents, and they and I think that they are the ones who begin to realise yeah. actually. We want our children. You know, you're slightly so pushy parent? parents. Parents who really, really want children to be the best they can academically, in particular, in particular, we're seeing more and more of those parents coming in. I think what's heartbreaking in terms of barriers that we're is that we have been to the LEA. We've said mm-hmm. this is a model. Uh, we've worked with Norman Lamb, who's obviously in Norfolk, was an MP, uh, yeah. and we have really tried to say. This is a model that children from areas of deprivation would really, really benefit from. They would thrive. They, they, they it, would they. thrive. I mean, particularly, you know, children who have been labelled as with ADHD and those and emotional. We've got a lot of work that we do with trauma children, children who have suffered trauma. We know that this model would be really important for all social sort of, uh, parts of society. And it, it's a real key, it's a real stepping stone to social mobility as well. We know that when occasionally we do get children there's real social mobility built into this model Mm -hmm. and the barrier for us is the LEA and government and actually because it's an incredibly cheap model it could be used but we need to have dandelions in areas of deprivation so that it's not just the people who are going to try Parents travel 50 minutes each way to come to Dandelion. We
2: need to be on the doorstep of parents who it, really, really need us. It, it, it's a cheap model to, 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 to construct in, in the initial stages. Yeah. What where you talk about the, the, the way that education should be evolving, the way it should be moving. It, yes, it should be moving outdoors in, in a model in a way that we have created. What they need to do, though, like the government recently talked about putting some money into buildings. Actually, it's not the buildings that are going to educate children, and are going to make children mentally well and emotionally stable and highly educated no. and articulate. It's it's the staff, it's the people who are with the children that will have make the most yeah. impact. It doesn't matter how pretty your building is, it no. really doesn't, if you don't have the staff. And we've worked so hard uh, to create a team. I mean, we have... We have Qualified teachers on our team we probably over well like over 50 now of qualified teachers that have taken a pay cut like we did to work for us because this is the best model for children and that's why they became teachers to to teach, teach and, to, and to and to help children be the best they can be and to draw out the potential that's within every child regardless, regardless of your background regardless, and regardless of whether their skills are literacy or numeracy. It, It could be, they're amazing with tools, they could be amazing at philosophy, they might be storytellers, but you don't have time to hear that in a classroom. So if we're going to evolve education, we need to be thinking about the people that work with children right from birth, all the way through, and that's the way we evolve a system that is fit for children for today's society not by creating buildings Mm -hmm. and some of these buildings i mean you'll know dawn and some of them
1: are like they're talking about three million pounds for alternative provision buildings i mean it's just you know the price of a wood
0: yeah i think i think well and as well as just looking at sort of like buildings and school buildings and how many children i can fit into buildings there's there's a lot of stuff that that already exists that that we could use and that i think has just maybe fallen out of um, common knowledge. Um, for example, I spend a lot of time um, with nannies um, as part of my job, which is always yeah. amazing. Like, there's, there's, yeah. it's, it's, it's great um, spending time in a room full of nannies. And a lot of professional nannies. Obviously, that that there is a little bit of weirdness in the nanny world, and it's not a regulated title. Yeah. Anybody, I, I also say I'm probably a bad example now because I do read a lot of nice stuff that teaches us things. Um, but my other half. Um, is upstairs playing the guitar, and he could advertise on the internet tomorrow and decide that he was going to be a nanny and yeah. he could register with Ofsted in 20 minutes and be yeah. an Ofsted registered nanny. Um, and so, in terms of regulation, it's still a bit weird, but we, we could yeah. choose to, you know. Make the most of that professional nanny and regulate nanny, and, and actually make people aware of the fact that if they've got two kids, maybe might be cheaper to have a nanny than to send them both to the industry, which is great if that's what you want in terms of keeping your children at home and doing that. And that we've got forest schools and that we can have children outdoors and doing that sort of stuff. If you don't want your children at home all day because you're working from home and you want them out in the real world doing other, you know, like being with other kids and doing other things, and that. That there's a lot of stuff that already exists within early years education and within right. child care and child development that we don't need to necessarily look at changing structures and, you know, right. having buildings do something. Reduce the number of children in the buildings and leave yes. the buildings as they are, yeah. and we'll, yeah. we'll make yeah. the most of what other parts of the system. That, 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 is, that, is, that is
2: the thing. You know, we, we, we've worked hard to create a team that's highly qualified and really compassionately care and our ratios are exceptional. So we haven't spent money on the buildings. We've spent money on having more staff and having sending them on more CPD courses, training them ourselves. And that is a much better way of spending capital, isn't it, than material things. Yeah.
0: In terms of it being at them, um, I know that you've said, obviously, you've been to, to local authorities and that the, it's not something that, People aren't able to access if they're not able to privately fund a nursery space um, because of the, the way that it all works, um, and, and that buy-in in terms of the funding side of things. We don't have the infrastructure for everybody just to move to home-based childcare because that isn't feasible for everybody by a long shot. Um, and obviously, the money that would need to be invested in the buildings to to make additional nursery settings possible, with with that sort of add bit as well that. A lot of funded settings are obviously facing real trouble at the minute. Um, so we're seeing actually a reduction in the number of, of nurseries yeah. that exist um, that are funded nurseries because that money wasn't enough to, to create the resilience needed to, to survive a drop in numbers. How can we make it work? What What is the answer?
1: If a child flex the eds, the school get all of the funding so only parents who can pay for the second space flexied ed now that should be challenged. The it's not inclusive is at all. It's not no. inclusive at all. And funding in, in early years is just in, in a way it's almost like society as a whole is going to have to I think they made a choice, or we made a choice as a society. And when we were Norfolk LEA, for example, last year was paying £3.89 an hour for a funded place. That's a choice, isn't it? And the choice is that we don't value early years education. We don't value the teachers in early years. You know, and and if you undervalue something that much, it's going to crash, isn't it? And those those children inside it are going to suffer. It's really boring, but it's, there needs to be a funding increase, doesn't there? There needs to be a whole swish around where we say, we need to start putting money in early years, because at the moment, huge amounts of money are going into the later years because by then children's mental health has crashed. We, you've got all sorts of the results of of this lack of education is appalling. And there's so many children, by the time they get to 16, who have been failed. There are children from backgrounds where they haven't managed, they're they're not going to move. They're not going to move, so perhaps their parents haven't had jobs, and they won't, because we haven't put in an early year structure that is going to change their lives. Early years can change lives, can't it? Whereas the old ones, it occasionally does, but mostly it just tries to put a
0: plaster on, on a huge gay gash. There's a great article on the of My website um, that I was really lucky to read um, a couple of years ago um, by a, a lady called Hermione um, Walker, who is a health and social care consultant. Um, and Hermione wrote a piece on women and autism and how girls and autism and how that presents differently because yeah. generally girls are socialised and they're better at communicating and being nice and doing that sort of like I'll change how I act to make you perceive me in the way that I'd like to be perceived by your stuff. Um, And that often masks um, autism. Um, And getting into my 30s and realising actually how much of that I do, whether it's because there's neurodivergence there or actually whether it's just because I'm a woman and because we do that to make people feel better or whatever it is that that makes that happen. That's then where people lose that resilience later on because actually, without knowing it, because it's how you've always been, you're at the end of your tether, and there isn't that headroom because you're pretending to be okay. Exactly. And you don't know, you're pretending to be okay, does, does that? No, no, yeah, that is. It's, I mean, it's just the, the autism thing
1: is fascinating, isn't it? Because for years and years and years and years, we have said there are more boys with autism than girls, and actually, it would appear that's completely untrue. What we mean is there are more girls who mask autism yeah so therefore when they get home they're setting they are absolutely exhausted yeah. so their behavior yeah. is affected isn't it yeah um Cortisol levels through the roof. Yeah, exactly yeah um dandelion is is really interesting because a lot of parents send their children to us um if, if with children who have been diagnosed with autism because a the setting is outside is clearly the the light is gentler, the sound is gentler, you're less close to people, so it's got all sorts of sensory advantages. Um, But also because we have so many staff, because we know that good education is about the numbers of staff and the quality and the qualifications of the staff, those children are listened to. So for example, we've got a girl, who has been with us now for, I think, six years, um, and now Flexi Ed's and started with us when she was just three, and has been going through this sort of diagnosis process as well. Um, but because we have time, she knows the site so well, she can self-calm. I mean, it is incredible to watch this journey of a girl who now can self-calm, who is, is in charge of lots of things for herself. I mean, she's, she is, is has quite a high level of, of autism on the spectrum. And, and yet within that space, because the staff know her so well and we have time to listen to her, she can go to them, she can say, you know, this is, I, I can't, I, I need to do this, I need to do that, everything. And because nothing is set, because everything is child led, you don't have to sit and do maths for five hours a desk. No. You know, we do know that you need to learn about um, multiplication or something. But the staff know how to teach you that, sitting on the ground sitting at the top of the tree. Yeah. We know, because we understand how multiplication works and, and, and how it's stepped, that little girl will, is still being able to access it. You know, she's academic, she,
0: she wants to and needs to learn, but she, she needs to have control over that. If we know that autism isn't necessarily that there are more boys with autism than girls, that it's changing it so that we look at it so that boys and girls with autism struggle at different points in their life, um whereas with boys it looks like boys struggle early on and with that sort of negotiating the world and and, and doing that communication bit and it it makes it obvious early on that there are problems girls tend to struggle as women when they're in their their 30s or their 40s and the the demands change and you figure things out differently but the intervention should really be at that same point you know that actually the way to help both of those yeah Sets of age ranges and manifestations is at that same early years intervention point, so that both genders of, of, of person with autism or how I or how how autistic people is is probably if it was me how I would choose to, to do it.
1: And I wonder whether as well, it's about I mean I don't know nothing. There's probably not enough research about. It, are these differences actually because boys and girls are different, or is it because we just silence and because as a society we just don't listen in the same way i mm-hmm. imagine from watching it's because we keep girls as silent that is what you get praised for as a girl isn't there? there's lots of research about that if you you know if if people don't know if a boy or a
2: girl that they're, they're playing with that the play is so different Yeah. how we treat children at dandelion it is very equal it's very mm-hmm. democratic and that all children have the same access, and we don't underestimate either any children, do we? Like, we, have, we, have, uh, we had a, a little boy who just absolutely loved wearing the dresses uh, from, the, from the basket. He put on the dresses, he climbed trees in the dresses. We had girls who hated wearing the dresses, uh, who liked getting muddy than some of the boys, and that was just great. But what broke our hearts is when this little boy we'd had for four years went to his primary school Within a few weeks, his mum came back to us and she was distraught because he'd gone to school in his purple jacket, loved purple, loved pink, and as soon as he got to school, he'd been told girls wear that colour. And that boy, he was independent and confident with us, and he came back to us and flexed in the end, and carried on building his confidence for for another year. And then when he went back to school, eventually, full time, he had more resilience, and because he we send much to school too early is the first thing, and then you've got your unconscious bias. And I mean, we've actually now, we have a rough and tumble play policy, which we've shared with parents. And it says that we encourage both sexes, both genders to rough and tumble play. We encourage rough and tumble play and how of rough and tumble players with both boys and girls. And we encourage parents to do that as well, because there is that expectation that boy, it's okay for boys to get muddy and rough and tumble, but actually it's not okay for the girls.
1: I just think it's heartbreaking, isn't it? We're literally, so close, you know, we talk about, oh, you know, children in, in coats where you sort of binding feet and things. But actually, we're sending children out. And it almost makes me cry. You send children out in our society today, little girls in shoes that have got heels. We send them out in dresses. We send them out in coats that aren't, aren't warm. We are completely stopping them from being able to run and to climb and to be what they can be. And I think that that is heartbreaking. And then we also tell them yeah. that it's... Be
0: quiet. I totally agree. Um, what I would say is that what is really refreshing to listen to is that the conversations that you're having um, are actually about um, making, you know, even in that open, encouraging girls to do a more of a play and getting girls involved. Because actually, I don't know whether this is a quote of forest schools or whether it's you as a leadership team or, or, or what it is, but. In my experience and talking to people about best practice and and nurseries, one of the challenges um, in early years education that I've heard talked about before is the opposite of that sort of in that because education is a largely female-led space and early years education is largely led by, by female leaders and female staff that the male socialisation or that, that more boisterous stuff is actually just not there at all. So where girls socialise sort of and, and get that female sort of, or stereotypically female, influence of, of that sort of soft and quiet and gentle and, and that that is very much the there. Mm-hmm. That that's also taken that there is none of that rough and tumble and boisterousness that might be there with maybe male leaders or that even when there are male leaders they're, they're, they're in that sort of framework of this is yeah. how yeah. education works. Does yeah. that
1: make sense? You're, yeah you're yeah. completely right yeah. aren't
0: you? The natural thing to
1: do with a child
0: is to rough
1: and tumble play in it and they, they, they need it for so many things Clearly, because you're in a nursery setting, you do lots of risk assessment, you do all of this sort of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, of
2: course they do. It, it's really, really important. And, and skilled practitioners know the signs to look for when rough and tumble play is becoming something more than that. And then they know when to step in and how to divert their training the Yeah, <laughs> and, and, it, and again, that comes down to having experienced, skilled, qualified staff and lots of them. Because because you know you're watching you can join in yeah. you, can, you can choose to step back you can be invited in you know if, if you if you're as i um, explained earlier if, if we were responsible for, for 26 children between the two of us we wouldn't know that if there was a group of children over there who, where the Ruffington would play become something more aggressive and actually became more bullish um, we wouldn't know that we wouldn't know that a child in there was, was struggling to to self-regulate because we'd have too many children. And you know, because of the amount of staff we've got, we can help children co-regulate. So if that rough and trouble play becomes more aggressive, we can step in and go, mm, what might happen? If, yeah. if we continue to do this, let's talk about what might happen. It's not a don't do that. It's a, let's talk about what's happening now. But we give children the language as well.
1: I mean, that's really important to us, isn't it? Is that part of our training for children and staff is that all children know how to say no thank you. And they can say it really loudly and yeah. if the child there, and we had a child sort of recently sort of explaining to another child about, I'm listening to you, that's called being respectful. Mm-hmm. This is a three-year-old child. Who's, he did then say, if I don't listen to you, that's called being unrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they, you give them the tools, don't you, to be able yeah. to say, No, I mean, that's so important as well, isn't it? That children, I wish someone would teach me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, we should all practice, yeah. No, thank you. you. I mean, we practice it, we'll be at brunch, we'll be sitting around the fire, having our story time, and we will practice. And we'll we'll have the puppets in doing a little story, and the children will be in there in the right moments going, No, thank you. Yeah,
2: (laughs) and it's really powerful giant yeah. voices for small children very really, important really important <laughs> we, we also adapted we um, our safeguarding policy we have a safeguarding through play policy um again empowering children giving children the language when yeah. they're not happy with something they say no and they know what to do about it we had we created a body song got a great body song got a great body song about body ownership and and, and that's again, is so important. Uh, we need to empower children with skills, with, with language, um, and that's w- what we've really tried hard to do, and it is working. Our yeah, children are is. going into schools with that confidence to actually say, go to go to a teacher, go to mm. a midday supervisor, and say, this is happening to me, I don't like it, please help me. And if they're not listened to,
1: they can then go home and say, and, and this is what they do, is they, mm. they do go home, we know this, and they say to their parents, I, I spoke, I expected to be listened to, and I wasn't, you know, and
2: then yeah. they, they can be supported. And it did, they know they have a right to be yeah. listened to. Ooh. You know, a child, a child has actually come up to us before and said, I've just been excluded. And a four-year-old saying, I've just been excluded. And we went, right, okay, let's go and have a chitter-chat then. So off we went, we had a chitter-chat, that happened, and then it went into a philosophy session at lunchtime. And yeah. you know, and then we were able to feedback to the parents. And, what a difference that makes to a child when they can say actually I felt this way and it wasn't I didn't enjoy the feeling it's not a feeling I want I'm going to share it and I know that we can solve it because adults will do something.
1: I
0: think I think that's really important for people to sort of understand alongside the concept of the fact that you run a forest school because there's that We've all seen those sensationalist stories in the newspapers where it's like, oh my god, and they give children power tools! Like, and let them run through the <laughs> like, And yeah, that sounds like brilliant fun and, and just, you know, and, and, but it's easily dismissed as, oh well, don't be silly. Like, they leave that over there. Is that it's not necessarily about transposing how we engage with children to teach them okay. things, like academic, like teaching things like we've all been trying to do at home you know to education to, to, uh, it's about that broader conversation and actually changing the way that we perceive education to be about more than that and it being an entire little sort of ecosystem of things um and one of the challenges that i can say with that is the buy in of parents um especially parents you know you've got a lot of parents like my age you know early 30s who have been through an education system which was quite you sit down, you shut up, you do you go home and your life is outside of school. Like that's separate, you know, and you go home and then you're back under your parents' rules and your parents' roof and you've got that conflict of while well, you're here, this is how you behave. When you go home, that's how you behave and that there's that sort of school versus parents almost I know when I was at school the big challenge was that we were really the first kids to have mobile phones I got my first one when I was 13 like and that was we were texting under desks and you know there was that thing of if schools say you're not allowed to take your phone to school I'll go into school and tell them you can because it's yeah you have to be allowed that so that you can get home safe and yeah that there's always something like that I think there's always a thing that is the thing that is sort of setting parents against teachers or that there is that them and us stuff how do you get parents to buy into that entire child care philosophy you know where there are things that might make parents uncomfortable about having real conversations with children about big things and like that's a different yeah to them falling down and skinning their knee we have had experience of mm. this i think you're right aren't you hayley um we do
1: training which has been incredibly um, powerful. Parent training. Um, Parent training. And obviously there are parents you offer that to free um, and you give them cake and tea and and things like that. And and particularly the behavioural training Mm -hmm. that we do. I mean, parents have said it's changed their lives, because you're absolutely right. If at Dandelion, our behaviour structure is about children um, being treated always respectfully, never humiliating um, about Using different techniques like student compliance, things like that, and, and parents if they don't have the same toolkit that we have, then children are going to be completely confused, aren't they? And a lot of it is with behaviourist tricks, isn't it? You know, I wish I'd known some of the tricks when my children were little. You know, I would have been
0: much of a better parent. But I yeah, think you're for wrong. me, a lot of it's framing. You know, like looking at um, the, the, there was a conversation I had with an organisation called Triple P, um, who are positive parenting and solutions, um, and they they have um a, a whole idea that actually it's about co-regulation rather than self-regulation so for me like one of the things that I say quite a lot is that parents who are at the end of their tether and they shout at their child and then they're surprised when their child either cries or shouts back at them and it's that you know being aware enough of how we are coming across and how we are engaging in a conversation is how we get that behavior back yep. you know like considering actually how is this being perceived like what am I doing am I really agitated and is that to agitate the person that i'm talking to actually behavior management it, it, it is a conversation it's a two-way conversation it's not a speech though. it's
2: it's it's a two-way conversation discussing the the options the alternatives um and giving, giving children that that space I and mean, we, we have we have a policy and we absolutely never have timeouts never uh, they're counterproductive um you know, we have enough space. If you if you feel as a child that you're struggling to regulate, to self regulate, then children know that they can select their own spaces, they can go and they can go and calm then they can come and find us, then we'll have that conversation. We're still going to have that conversation. They learn that we are going to have that conversation. That's a given. Uh, but it will be a conversation. And yeah. there'll be no humiliation, there's no turnouts. We will never say don't. Don't say don't and that takes the matter quite a long time. To get their head around, um, it's that positive framing of, of of the of of the management of the over. children. But it's isn't it? not
1: easy, is it? I mean, I think even as, as teachers, you know, not saying don't is quite hard. I, I you know, I think we all as humans catch that don't out there and you, go, <clears throat> and you, you sort of try and put it back in again. Um, we also talked about parents a lot about intrinsic and extrinsic rewards, and we know being teachers ourselves that that extrinsic rewards are everywhere aren't they and everybody's got a sticker chart for toilets and satch up and it's you know yeah. every class will have your your shiny cloud for people who are really wonderful and then you doubt stormy clouds for children who are you know not i had one in my class because that's what we all did um I haven't questioned it enough but we really talk to parents about why we don't use extrinsic rewards yeah at all we just don't there's no and there's no need okay. there is really no need um, we've got celebration songs that, so if a child does something they're trying to do and they fill in the bits, so, so it will be celebrate so and so about what you've done, and the child will tell you what they've done. So if a child can tell you they understand what they're trying to learn, or they, they know that they're persevering, persevering because they really want to climb a tree, then that the joy of when they get to the top of the tree, mm-hmm. and it might take them a week, you know, it, it might take them four hours, and that might be all they do one day, but that is enough reward particularly yep. for naming it and I think for parents the shortcut of extrinsic rewards
0: what i did want to check before we're finished though if there if there is anything that you could sort of change tomorrow um and and that just people did all the time what what would it be talk with their children yeah everybody in society
2: start talking with children your I think value the early years, that part of childhood and that part of development because it will change your life if you change the value of the early years. change society. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Um, and where can people find Dandelions if they want to find out more about you, and um, whether that's you as individuals and practitioners or Dandelions as a set where can they find you online or, or wherever else they can yeah. find you? You can
1: www. Uh, uh, Dandelions Norfolk com or email us at dandelions at gmail.com. You can read Wild Child by Patrick Darkham. Yes. Half of his book is, is based at Dandelion um, from
2: a year of volunteering. Um, or we're on yes. Facebook, we're yeah. on everything, Instagram. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just get in touch with us and you, you can find us in a wood.
0: Mud Paul, hear you. Brilliant, Um, that's great Thank you so much for your time this morning It's been absolutely brilliant to talk you And thanks to you at home We hope you enjoyed this episode of podcast Don't forget, for more great content tailored to everyone in the care and education sectors you can join our membership network cashalumni.org.uk It's free to join and you'll get access to articles from subject specialists careers advice, job vacancies and our member benefits scheme If you'd like to feature on a future episode of PodCash, please get in touch with us through the contact details on the Cash Alumni website. Until next time, take care.